Thank you, Pastor Carl. That's a wonderful song to lead into the message. And he's wearing all black, kind of like Johnny Cash for a special music. Uh, that's a wonderful song. Do you ever think about that? Children just missed a junior church, by the way. I see some kids leaving already. So, you know, I wonder, though, as I'm thinking about that. And by the way, turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 uh, for the message today. I know you might have trouble finding that. That's the first book of your Bibles, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And we'll go to the New Testament in a little bit as well. But as I think about that, I wonder, is he all that we need? Is God all that we need? None of us are perfect that way, but are we striving that God is all that we need? I want to begin talking about foundations. Foundations. And to lead us into that, I have an illustration. On Christmas Day, 1968, maybe some of you remember what you were doing that day. You might, as I tell you this, three astronauts of Apollo 8 circled the dark side of the moon and headed for home. Apollo 8, circling the dark side of the moon and heading for home, Christmas Day, 1968, suddenly over the horizon of the moon rose the blue and white earth, garlanded by the glistening light of the sun against the black void of outer space. That's amazing. Some of us have probably seen that picture. Those sophisticated men trained in science and technology as they saw the earth from outer space as he circled the moon those sophisticated men trained in science and technology did not utter einstein's name only they did not even go to the poets they did not go to the lyricists or the dramatists only one thing could capture the awe-inspiring thrill of this magnificent observation. Billions heard the voice from outer space as the astronauts read, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, the only concept worthy enough to describe that unspeakable awe, unutterable in any other way, in the beginning, God created. The invasive, the inescapable sense of the infinite and eternal. And that was actually played over the airwaves when they uttered those words. And actually, there was a lawsuit brought against NASA because of that. Um, but that's what, they, that's what they shared as they circled the moon and headed for Earth on Christmas. Inter- interesting, it was on Christmas Day. In the beginning, God created I'm going to read this a few times. I should have this on the screen, but I don't. I apologize. But it's a really good quote. I I should have it on the screen because it's kind of hard to follow. But it's a short quote. It's really funny and it's really good and really punny by G.K. Chesterton. G.K. Chesterton said, It is absurd for the evolutionist to complain that it is unthinkable for an admittedly unthinkable God to make everything out of nothing and then pretend that it is more thinkable that nothing should turn itself into anything. Let me read that again. It is absurd for the evolutionist to complain that it is unthinkable for an admittedly unthinkable God to make everything out of nothing and then pretend that it is more thinkable that nothing should turn itself into anything. This copy is on the 
sermon in the back if you want to read that quote later on. It's a pretty good quote. And as we get into foundational elements of our faith, that's what we're beginning with today. Genesis chapters 1 through 11. I'm going to make the case over the next four or five, six months that Genesis chapters 1 through 11 are foundational to the Christian faith. Today we begin with God as creator. God as creator is foundational to our faith. That's my theme. It's a simple theme today. God as creator is foundational to our faith. Now, we do see different literary devices in the Bible. And there is a a science called hermeneutics. Hermeneutics. That means the, the science of interpretation. And there are different interpretive devices that we apply to the Bible, just like we apply to any other, any other work. But And we need to interpret the Bible literarily. That would be true. But the case I want to make is that when we start to tamper with Genesis chapters 1 through 11, as many are doing, and we start to change the Bible and not believe in Adam and Eve and and not believe in creation and not believe in certain things like that, it messes up the rest of the Bible. This is foundational to our faith. Genesis 1.1, hopefully you're there. Genesis 1.1 reads, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And over the next several weeks, we're going to walk uh, through parts of Genesis chapters 1 and 2, and then we'll get to 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and so on. But we got to start with God as creator. In the beginning, God created. This is foundational. This is a found, the, the foundation to our faith. I must admit... It's been a rough week for me and probably for many of you because Ben Roethlisberger played his last game at Heinz Field last Monday night. And besides trying to weave that into a sermon, the main reason I share that is think about foundations for a minute. Many teams really want a good quarterback. And some could say a quarterback is foundational to a football team's success. You know, Peyton Manning with the Colts and then the Broncos. Of course, Tom Brady with the Patriots and now the Buccaneers. And for 18 years, Ben Roethlisberger for the um, Pittsburgh Steelers. But think about foundations. And of course, when we think of foundations, we can think of a building, right? And I'm going to come back with an illustration about buildings in a minute. But how many of you have ever dug a foundation? For something, for maybe a deck, maybe a building, right? And for certain things, how deep they, they have, they, they tell you how deep the foundation is supposed to be, right? Anybody know? Or you probably know, right? Around four feet. Because if it's not deep enough, ice could get in and other things, right? And, and it, the building may not withstand the test of time and things like that. Foundations are critical. Genesis 1.1 is showing in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the foundation for our faith. God created. The, pa- the, the passage begins with first or the beginning. In the beginning. This is a beginning of time. God created. God is creating. God is the one doing the action. And this action is going to continue through chapters 1 and 2 about creation. God is doing the action. In the beginning, by the way, it's the best translation. If you do look at the literal Hebrew, the definite article, the, is not there, but it's certainly implied. So in the beginning, of course, in the Hebrew would be in beginning, in beginning, but the is implied. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is also the beginning of the Torah. Torah means instruction, not law. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, 
Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And, and, and this is the instruction. The Torah is a book of instruction about the law. Moses, inspired by God, is delivering to the people a book of instruction about the law. By the way, as I was delivering this message last night, the Holy Spirit impressed on me to share a little bit more about that. You see, as I read through Genesis, and I make it my goal to read through the Bible every year, and I'm teaching through Genesis, and I taught through Deuteronomy a few years ago, which I absolutely loved. And um, the more I read through Genesis, the more I realize that God is inspiring Moses to teach the Israelite people about their history before they enter the promised land. Because Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy were inspired by God to give to the people before they enter the promised land. Moses is writing these, certainly inspired by God, while the people are wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. The people grumbled and complained as they left Egypt. And so God punished them and said, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So next time you start complaining or your children and grandchildren start complaining, remind them that the Israelites had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years because they were grumbling and complaining. That is the ultimate timeout, okay? And so the people grumbled and complained. So God has them wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And during that time, God is inspiring Moses to write Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And what is Genesis teaching them? Genesis teaching, Genesis is teaching the Israelite people about their history. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So this is praise the Lord, right arm, left arm. You know the story. And I'm sure that the Israelites are probably asking Moses, tell me about Father Abraham. They were 430 years in Egypt. And now they're likely asking Moses, tell me about our history. And Moses is probably saying, I want to tell you about Abraham, but first we got to go to the beginning. First we got to go to, in the beginning, God created. You know, like the sound of music, let's start with the very beginning, that song, a very good place to start. When you read, you begin with A, B, C. When you sing, you begin with Do, Re, Mi, right? Anyway, so Moses is saying, you gotta go back to the beginning. And I'm sure the Israelites are saying, well, tell us about the flood. And Moses is saying, let's go to the beginning. And the Israelites are probably saying, well, tell us about Jacob and his deceit and his name and his twin brother Esau. And Moses is saying, we'll get to that. But let's, let's start with the beginning. And the people might be saying, but what we want to know about Joseph and how they got to Egypt. And Moses is saying, wait, we got to go back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so Moses is teaching the people instructions about the law. Moses is teaching the people instructions about their family history. Moses is teaching the people instructions about the places they're going to go into, Shechem and Bethel and even Jerusalem and Melchizedek and all this other stuff, the people and places and events that have happened in the history. And Genesis is teaching them all about this history. But Moses begins with the beginning. And right now, in the beginning, we have a distinction in Scripture showing a separation between creator and creation. In the beginning, God created. God is not one with creation. That'd be Star Wars. 
Use the force. That's not this. In the beginning, God created. God is separate from his creation. God created the creation. There is a distinction right here. God created the heavens, plural, and the earth. They would view heavens as plural and then the earth. This encompasses everything. This means that God created matter right here. God created the heavens and the earth. God created matter. God, God had to create space to put the matter in. You ever think about that? God created space. By the way, this is a figure of speech called a merism. A merism. If you ever want to impress people later on, use the word merism. It, it, it basically means that he created everything. God created the heavens and the earth. That's a figure of speech called a merism, which means everything. And then starting in Genesis 1-3 and going through chapter 2, he's going to give more detail about that creation. Dr. Adelnik said, there is nothing in Genesis chapters 1 through 2 that reads like poetry until the end. See, some would start saying, this is just poetic, it's not real, it's not literal. But there's nothing in Genesis chapters 1 through 2 that reads like poetry until the end. Now, what part is like poetry? I'm glad you asked. This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman. The poetry is after God creates woman. We'll come back to that in a few weeks. And Adam saw Eve, just like all husbands do, he shared a poem with her. Why does, but why does this matter? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Why does this matter? Why is this foundational? Because I want to make the case that Genesis chapters 1 through 11 are foundational to our faith, and we must not tamper with them. We must not edit them. We must not change them. We must not compromise them. And it matters. This means we start with God. In a minute, I want to share some applications that we can make as, to, to, to the idea of God as creator. But first, why do foundations matter? I read the following. I, f- I found this a good illustration. This person writes, I heard about a building at Ohio State University. It's a postmodern building. Postmodern building. And this author writes about this building. He says, I remember lecturing. Start over. I remember lecturing at Ohio State University, one of the largest universities in this country. I was minutes away from beginning my lecture, and my host was driving me past a new building called the Wexner Center for the Performing Arts. He said, this is America's first postmodern building. The writer says, I was startled for a moment, and I said, what is a postmodern building? Well, he said, well, the architect said that he designed this building with no design in mind. When the architect was asked why, why would they design a building with no design in mind? He said, if life is capricious, that means sudden and given to change. He said, if life is capricious, why should our buildings have any design and any meaning? So he has pillars in the building that have no purpose. He has stairways that go nowhere. He has a senseless building built and somebody has paid for it. The writer says, so I said, so his argument was that if life has no purpose and design, why should the building have any design? The person driving said, that's correct. So I said, did he do the same with the foundation? The building has no design, staircases that go nowhere, pillars with no purpose. Could he do the same with the foundation? No. You can't do the same with foundation. 
the writer says, all of a sudden there was silence. You see, you and I can fool with the infrastructure as much as we would like, but we dare not fool with the foundation because it will call our bluff in a hurry. Genesis 1.1, Genesis chapters 1 through 11 are foundational to our faith. All of these chapters, which some have called primeval history, they're foundational to our faith, and we must not fool with them or they will call our bluff in a hurry. The foundation is critical. Genesis is the foundation of our faith. God is teaching us important foundational elements to our faith. If we cut out the foundation, what's going to happen? Well, we see what's happening. Look around our world today. I can think of many schools, colleges, seminaries, Christian schools, supposed Christian schools that start to tamper with Genesis chapters 1 through 11. And I can see the effects in the rest of their theology, the rest of their teaching, their students, their graduates, and everything else. This is foundational to our faith. In Genesis chapters 1 through 11, we have the origin of the doctrine of marriage. You want to see where marriage originates? Go to Genesis chapters 1 through 11. When the Supreme Court endorsed same-sex marriage, Justice Scalia said, how can we, I think it was Scalia, uh, how can we change something that we didn't invent to begin with? The beginning of marriage is in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapters 1 through 11, we have the origin of clothing. The origin of clothing uh, the, in Genesis, it records, the God, uh, it, re- it records God's plan for gender. We're talking about gender, confusion, all these things. You want to know God's plan for gender? Go to Genesis chapter 2. It's right there. The gospel is found in Genesis. We need a savior because Adam, the father head of the human race, sinned and brought literal death into creation, Genesis 3. That's why Jesus had to come and literally die a physical death to take our place. That is found in Genesis. You want to go back to the beginning of Abraham, the beginning of the Israelite people? That is in Genesis chapter 11. We see these ideas repeated in the New Testament and the rest of the Bible. And we're going to talk about them in the coming weeks. But what about God as creator? I want to show you some New Testament passages that connect with Genesis 1.1. We have to go no further than John chapter 1 verses 1 and 3. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. That's John's gospel, fourth gospel of the New Testament, referring back to creation and talking about Jesus as the creator. Right there, connecting. John is intentionally connecting his gospel with Genesis 1.1. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. This is about Jesus. It says, he, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. All things hold together by Jesus. By the way, we're going to talk about this in the coming weeks, but Jesus referred to Genesis as Moses is writing. Those texts in the New Testament connect God as creator with Jesus as creator. God created through Jesus. I like what John Piper writes. He says, so Paul teaches us that Jesus Christ created all that is. They were created through him. He was with and in God and was God, John 1, 1 to 3, as God created all things through him. And all things were created for him. All things were created for Jesus. 
All that came into being exists for Christ. That is, it exists to display the greatness of Christ. Nothing, nothing in the universe exists for its own sake. Everything from the bottom of the oceans to the top of the mountains, from the smallest particle to the biggest star, from the most boring school subject to the most fascinating science, from the ugliest cockroach to the most beautiful human, from the greatest saint and the most wicked and from the greatest saint to the most wicked genocidal dictator, everything that exists, exists to make the greatness of Christ more fully known, including you and the person you have the hardest time liking. Everything exists for Christ. Everything exists to glorify Christ. Everything exists to point to Christ. Think about all those beautiful stars in the sky that for centuries, millennia, nobody could see. But God, they're all pointing to glorify Christ. In the beginning, God created. If God created, then we have a purpose. Let's look at some applications here. God created, this is not nihilism. Nihilism, which means life has no purpose. We have a purpose because God created us. We are created, and if we walk through Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we see God giving man and woman a purpose. Man and woman were called to tend the Garden of Eden, Genesis 2, Genesis 2.15. We are still called by God to steward the planet. We are called to have children, and this is all part of God's purpose. God created, so we have a purpose. God created. This is not existentialism. Existentialism would teach that we must find meaning in our life because life has no meaning. Life has meaning because God created and God gave it meaning. God created. This is not hedonism. Y'all know of hedonism. Life has no purpose. Have fun. Go for it. Do what you want. Life's all about pleasure. No, that's not what God teaches. God created and God gives purpose. And as we go through Genesis chapters one and two, we're gonna see purpose and tending the garden and, 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 and being fruitful and multiplying and so much more. God created. This is not humanism or naturalism, which teaches that life is all about nature and planet Earth and that's, that's all that it's about. No, God created. God is separate from his creation. God created. This is not pantheism, which teaches that all is God. Pan means all, theism means God. So pantheism teaches that creation and God are combined. They're all one. No, this is showing a separation between creator and creation. And we must remember that. This is not Mother Earth. No, God created the earth. God created the world. God created the heavens and the earth. And then God gave great detail in creating humanity, male and female, creating the image of God. God created. As we build on this idea about Genesis chapters 1 through 11 being foundational to our faith, I want to share that the whole Bible is about Jesus. Every book of the Bible points to Jesus. We have the first prophecy of the Messiah in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. We have more in Genesis chapter 49. We have a type called a typology in Genesis 22 when Abraham went to sacrifice his son Isaac. And what happened? The angel of the Lord came upon and stopped him. But someday God will not stay his hand. God did not stay his hand and God sacrificed his own son for our sins. But every book of the Bible points to Jesus. I read something a few years ago. Actually, I heard it. Tim Burns told me about it. This comes from Dr. Michael Yusuf. And Michael Yusuf, I don't think he wrote it. Actually, I think he got it from somewhere else. Uh, everybody plagiarizes. We're just giving credit as much as we can. So I'm giving credit to Michael Yusuf. Um, and this tells how every book of the Bible points to Jesus. Genesis. He, Jesus, is the promise 
to Adam and Eve. He is the seed of the woman that would crush Satan's head. Exodus, he, Jesus, is the Passover lamb that saves us. Leviticus, he, Jesus, is our great high priest. Numbers, he, Jesus, is our smitten rock. Deuteronomy, he, that's Jesus, is the prophet like Moses. Deuteronomy 18, 15. Uh, Joshua, he, that's Jesus, is the captain of the Lord's armies, captain of the Lord of hosts. Judges, Jesus is the creator and final judge. Ruth, Jesus is the heavenly kinsman redeemer. First and second Samuel, Jesus is the anointed one. First and second Kings, Jesus is the king of kings and Lord of lords. First and second Chronicles, Jesus is the glory of God in the temple. Ezra, Jesus is a teacher that comes from God. Nehemiah, Jesus is the rebuilder of broken lives. Esther, he is the protector of his people. Es, um, Job, Jesus is the only comforter in times of trouble. Then what about the Psalms? Jesus is our good shepherd, Psalm 23. Proverbs, Jesus is the wisdom of God. Ecclesiastes, Jesus is a preacher of the kingdom of God. Song of Solomon, Jesus is the bridegroom who's coming to his bride, the church. Isaiah, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, 6. Jeremiah, Jesus is the potter that shapes the clay of our lives into the image of God. We can find scripture references for all of these in all of these books because every book of the Bible is critical and they are all pointing to salvation by faith alone in Jesus alone. Moving on here, Lamentations. Jesus is the weeping prophet. Ezekiel, he's the wheel inside the wheel of Ezekiel 1. Daniel, he's a son of man coming on the clouds in great glory. The fourth man in the furnace, Daniel 7 and 3. Hosea, he's the love of God to the backslider. Joel, he's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amos, he's the author of judgment and mercy. Obadiah, he's the God of vengeance. Jonah, he's the salvation of our Lord. Micah, he's a great intercessor. Nahum, he's a stronghold in the days of trouble. Habakkuk, he's the God of mercy. Zephaniah, he's the establisher of the kingdom of God upon the earth. Haggai, He's a desire of all nations. Zechariah, he's the branch of Jehovah. Malachi, that's the last Old Testament book. Malachi, he is the refiner's fire, the son of righteousness that will rise over the whole world with healing in his wings. And now we have the New Testament. Matthew, he's a kingly Messiah. Mark, he's a miracle worker. Luke, he is the great physician. John, he's the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John 1.29, Acts, He's the risen Lord. Romans, he is our justification. First and second Corinthians, he is our sanctification. Galatians, he's our liberator. Ephesians, he's our perfection. Philippians, he is our joy. Ephesians, no, Colossians, he's the head of the body, the church. First and second Thessalonians, he is the coming Lord who will reign and rule forever. First and second Timothy, he's a judge of man. Titus, he's the redeemer of the world. Philemon, he is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Hebrews, he's the author and finisher of our salvation. Hebrews 12, 2. James, he's the healer of all nations. First and second Peter, he is a chief shepherd and bishop of our souls. First, second, and third John, he is the word of God. Jude, he's the coming Lord with 10,000 of his saints to exude judgment on the earth and revelation. 
He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of Jesse, the root of David, the Lamb of God, the Word of God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. The whole Bible is pointing to Jesus. And Genesis chapters 1 through 11 are foundational to our faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we see right there how all 66 books of the Bible are pointing to salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. And we see, Lord God, in Genesis 1-1, that God, you as creator, matter. You created the heavens and the earth in the beginning. You created time. You created space. You created matter. And then, Lord, we'll see as Moses particularizes the details of creation. Bless us as we continue this study. May it strengthen our faith. May it strengthen our trust in you as a Lord and a Savior. May this strengthen our trust in your word, inspired, God-breathed. May this strengthen our faith. May we be encouraged that we can trust your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Amen.